Welcome to episode three of He's a Giant, a pod about all things Giants football and all things college football, brought to you by Monty and Sal. Monty, how's it going, man? Been better, Sal. I've been better. How you doing? <laughs> I got the old school throwback jersey on to make me feel better. Uh, because go. I, I got West because... Virginia on because you know, we're playing Pitt, so <laughs> shit Pitt. <laughs> the old rivalry game. I love it. Yep. Yeah, no, I got my LT jersey on mainly because, uh, well, partially because we're going over edge rushers today, and we'll get yes, to that yeah. in a little bit, but I, I just wanted to uh, wear the jersey of a team that I remember being very happy watching. <laughs> <laughs> that was a rough one. So, uh, yeah, we're coming off the heels of, of our opening game against the Cowboys, and we all went into it with a lot of hope building up from the season, and we got... We just got our asses beat all over the field, forty to nothing. Just a yep. brutal, brutal loss. So, uh, you know, I think we've now that we've had a couple of days to digest it. Tell me your thoughts. What are, what's your take home, and just where are you with this right now? Sure. I mean, there's a ton to say about it, but I'll say one thing. There's a lot of conversations this entire offseason, especially about this game in particular, because it was Week One. I think a lot of fans. Um, kind of didn't take Dallas seriously enough. Um, you know, I was always in the camp that they're one of the top teams in the NFC. I thought it was the 49ers, Eagles, and Dallas. I thought those three were still the clear top. I didn't necessarily think the Giants closed the gap, but I felt that the Giants put themselves in a position where they could compete with, you know, top-level teams and be a – you know, even though they're not in the same level, they they can go ahead and be in those games and give themselves a chance. Clearly, that is not what happened week one. Ooh. We got embarrassed. Um, and it felt like everything that could go wrong went wrong. Like, it was just like, even, you know, fourth quarter, Isaiah Hodgin catches a ball, he fumbles. Like, it's just like every single thing that kept could have gone wrong just kept going wrong. It was just snowballing, and and it felt like the Giants were kind of just letting it happen at one point. Um, but yeah, I'll let you go into a little bit of your thoughts. Yeah, I mean we've we've been through this discussion, of, I think, a hundred times over by now, like on Twitter and Spaces, and just talking to friends. I, I'm with you. I, I mean, I, I think I've I've I think I've had a more healthy respect for the Dallas Cowboys than I think a lot of our fan base has, both the Cowboys as an organization, as a team, and Dak Prescott. I think he's given a lot of crap that I don't think is really justified. I don't think he's elite, but I think he's a pretty mm -hmm. damn good quarterback and always has been. Had a bad year last year when he was injured, and it was a relatively bad year. But even then, I think people went overboard criticizing the guy. Yeah. Um, I do think the Dallas Cowboys are the best defense in the NFL. I, I said that going into the game. I don't think – I think they left very little doubt of that after the game. Um, and I think actually that they are, if not the most likely, one of the most likely teams to come out of the NFC and represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. All that said, I picked the Giants to kind of eke one out, mainly for the reasons you said. I don't think the Giants are Oscar, nor did I think going into that game that we're anywhere near the Cowboys uh, in terms of overall roster, like depth and things like that. But I thought that they had at least – built up enough of a talent pool, at least on the starting end, that they would be a tough out. And that's how I was going into think, you know, thinking mm. that they would be a tough out for a tough team, well coached, you know, and and home game. Vet 
home game, bunch of veterans, a lot of home energy, the fans behind you. I thought they'd be a tough out and a, a tough out at home. You know, I kind of was hoping we could lean into the Giants a little bit and get a win. Um, that opening drive looked promising from at least a running standpoint, although when you look back at it, there were probably passes that could have been made and they didn't happen. But nevertheless, they were moving the ball and they were getting themselves into the, you know, they got in the red zone pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. The wheels fell off very fast after that. It was, you know, the fall start by Andrew Thomas, which is very uncanny for him. Although I would say that on that play, the clock was, I, I think he thought that the, uh, the play clock was about to expire, which is what forced him to, to jump a little bit. But the false start and the, you know, the bad snap and, you know, just in the kick being, you know, blocked and the return for a touchdown, just a ridiculous sequence of events. It's just a matter of three plays. We can dissect this all we want. Um, It went all downhill from there. But at the end of the day, the Cowboys just flexed and showed they were the way better team. Um, And that's fine. Like, they can win the game being better. I think I was most disheartened by how little fight the Giants had in them. Mm-hmm. Um, just rolled over, it felt like. They they just looked like, you know, when we say things like, oh, it snowballed, it got out of hand, that's all real, but, like, what that actually is, you know, what that's saying is that the guys on the field were just not locked in. Yep. At a certain point, our guys were just out of the game. And our offensive line was a complete and utter disaster. You and I have been screaming this for months now, I feel like, that – we're not a well-coached team when it comes to the offensive line. I think it's pretty no. clear. Um, Evan Neal looks like a complete train wreck. And you can say what you want about the man, but he didn't look like this at Alabama. Uh, he didn't he, look he, like he, this week one last year. No. I mean, look, there's a reason the dude was projected to be a top five pick and a top number one overall pick for a while. He was a really good offensive tackle at Alabama. Now, you can go back and nitpick in and, and hindsight and say, well, he might have had some issues with balance and – footwork and maybe like the really speed rushers around the edge when he was in college too. You could absolutely say all those things, but like that's, as we were talking about, that's every prospect, like every prospect is raw. He was a supremely talented player coming out of Alabama. He looked better when he started with the Giants with, for all his flaws and he's gotten progressively worse with time. And you got to, you want to give it time this year, but he looks terrible. Um, I thought Josh Azudu was way overdrafted when he was taken at 67th overall last year. That stated, he was what, like a three-year starter at North mm-hmm. Carolina, had a lot of versatility. He wasn't a complete train wreck. He looks like a train wreck, although he didn't even play. I never thought Ben Bredesen was a, was a great player, but you know, like I don't see much progression there. And Mark Lewinsky was at least a serviceable NFL starting guard. And now he looks like he's never played football. Yep. It's a disaster. And when the entire unit looks completely disjointed and there's no cohesiveness and it's as bad as it looks, you can argue that the Giants' talent level may have been overestimated on the line and that it's not an elite unit. But it should at least be an average unit. And the fact that it's not, not only not an average unit, but it looks like potentially the worst or one of the worst units in the entire NFL speaks purely to coaching. And I think it's time that that gets addressed. We've been banging the drum and and the warning signs about Bobby Johnson. He was a bad coach at Buffalo from, you know, what we heard from our friends in the the Buffalo Bills community. Um, Certainly his O-lines didn't do the greatest. 
Um, the whole there's the whole we've talked about the Wyatt Teller saga, how he came in. Yep. And then, you know, he had a second year Wyatt Teller after a good rookie campaign, and then Bobby Johnson comes in as the O-line coach after that. And for whatever reason, the decision is made that Wyatt Teller has no place on a team full of a bunch of really bad veteran guards, and they dump him for nothing, and the guy becomes an all-pro almost immediately with Bill Callahan in Cleveland. There's something wrong there, whether it's Bobby Callahan or whether it is Brian Dable. It could be either. It could be both. There's something very, very wrong in that offensive line. I think it's time to start talking about it. And I don't want to see the Giants panic here and start trading picks. You know, I know people. some people want to start trading draft picks for linemen. I don't think throwing more resources at this coaching unit is going to fix the problem of the offensive line. I think the one change that they can come up with that we've talked about is they need to start thinking about making an offensive line coach change in some yep. shape or fashion. Obviously, the you know, the unicorn, unicorn, you know, the prayer is go out and get Mike Munchak somehow. Um, I mean, I put that on Twitter. It went crazy, went viral, that whole hire, give him a blank check thing. I mean it, but I don't expect it. But yep. somebody along those lines, you know, we talk about this, like there's not a lot of, I'll let you take it from there, but like there's not a lot of guys like that. And when you can find one, they're like cheat codes, right? So. Yep. What are your thoughts? Yeah, man, I think there's obviously a lot of things you can say that went very wrong with this game. But I think the two things that you know we were very worried about really got magnified in this game when everything went wrong. And I think that was the offensive line and that was the special teams. And those were two coaches we didn't have a lot of trust in. You know, yeah. um, the special teams with that blocked field goal, which honestly – came down to the special teams coaching and the offensive line coaching because it didn't seem like Azudu knew who to block there and just yeah. you know took the outside guy, which you're never supposed to do, and just let them shoot the gap. Let, uh... Did you hear Carl Banks talk about it? No, I didn't hear what he said. Yeah, I mean, basically, he was talking about that exactly what you're saying. He's like that. He's like that's a, he's like that's a coaching thing. You, it is. you tell you tell them who to block and and how to handle that. He's like that's a that's a that's a gimme in the NFL, and it seems like they don't know how to do it. Yeah, look, man, like, I get when everybody says, you know, it's up to the players to execute. But if you know, if you've seen, if you've been a part of a good culture, if you've seen a team that's part of a good culture, you know, the the coaches put that on themselves. They prepare the players so they can execute. You don't just say, players need to execute. No, you need to prepare them. And those mental mistakes are on the coaches. And... So that was one of them. And then, yeah, but, man, man, we've been talking about him beating to death of Bobby Johnson this week. It's There's so many red flags with this guy. I mean, I we, we were saying it. I think Evan Neal has legitimately become a worse football player since he's joined the New York Giants, which it's hard to argue with. Um, Mark Lewinsky looked like a much better player. A much He was never that good, but a much better player in Indianapolis. And to be honest – I mean, I know it's early. He looked like a better player last year. It, it's it's looked like he's getting worse and worse the longer he's under this coaching. Um, you mentioned it. It was a tweet I put out with Wyatt Teller. He was started the last half of the season for the Buffalo Bills after being a fifth-round pick. They hire Bobby Johnson. Bobby Johnson and played, comes in. And he, and he played well. Yeah. For, for a rookie. rookie for, a, for a fifth-round rookie. He was solid. Yeah. Yep. And Bobby Johnson came in. He didn't start him. He, he didn't have a place on the line, and Joe Shane and Brian Bean, uh, Brian Bean traded him. And, you know, usually what that means when you trade him at the end of August was means the coaches were saying this guy wasn't going to make the team. Yeah, and absolutely. 
you you know that's you know not just um that's not just Bobby Johnson to be fair I mean everybody's watching this guy so I mean you can say it to the point of but it also ultimately comes down to Bobby Johnson because he's not developing this guy and if he doesn't look the part and then looks the part somewhere else then he's not doing his job getting this guy to to the level that he can get to um yeah man I I wasn't I never thought from what you know, what we heard about from Bobby Johnson from Buffalo Bills people, I never thought he was a good offensive line coach. It was a shame because offensive line coach is one of the most important spots in football, but it's hard to find these top guys. I was hoping he'd just be average, though, because you know, you, you can have an average guy. Not a lot of guys can find the top guys, but it seems like he's a disadvantage at the position. Um, he's I think he's one of the worst guys we've had over the last few years. Um, no one guy I threw out the idea of bringing in, even if it's just as in the same situation we did it last time in 2020, Joe Judge brought in Gooch, Dave Guglielmo, uh, and because Mark Colombo wasn't getting the job done and Andrew Thomas was looking worse, so he brought him in. Ultimately, Mark Colombo didn't like that, and he was ended, ended up being fired. But he didn't bring him in to replace him; he brought him in to help him. I don't know how. Uh, I don't know how Bobby Johnson would take it. I frankly don't care, but I think yeah. he should consider doing something like that. And I honestly think Googe makes a ton of sense because yeah. Brian Dable coached with Googe in Miami. He coached with him in New England, and at the end of the day, this guy's a mercenary. He will come in for one year. He'll help you fix it, and you can let him go. That's the story of his career. He does that every single year. And then, you know, after the season, you can look for a real upgrade at offensive line coach and a long-term answer. Um, you mentioned Mike Munchak. You know, we the issue with him being that his daughters live on the West Coast and he wants to be near them. Um, yeah. Like you said, if you throw – if Merrick is, you know, willing yeah, you, to write a blank check, then – you always test a theory like that with money. I think that's yeah, I sort mean, of the approach you take. He's an elite offensive line coach, so it's worth a shot. Um, you know, we're big fans of Kurt Anderson. He's the big offensive fan. line coach over at uh, Northwestern. He coached Slater, Skaronsky, and he was at, even over in Arkansas with uh, uh, bl- uh, the Illinois coach now. I'm blanking on his name, but uh, – Belima or whatever, but yeah. he he coached uh, Frank Ragno there, another yeah. one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL. Um, you know there there are some other guys that we and I like. think I think we're we're going to get to the point where we're going to have to have an episode where we we really just go over you know coaches, yeah, and, and college prospects. It's something I thought about because whether it's free agents or college, but we can't have another season blown to bits because our offensive line is forget about being really good is just not even functional you can't do that the clock is ticking now on this regime they've paid daniel jones they've brought back saquon barkley they they've decided to run it back with a bunch of veterans while trying to rebuild they're they're trying to toe that line of you know compete while rebuilding once you start paying people like say what you want the clock is ticking now on you you're under the microscope and you can see the New York media, as ridiculous as it is, they're already coming at Dable, you know, for the stupidest things. But it's what the New York media does. This is as predictable as the sun. 
Yep. You know, and so they need to get this right. They need to fix this. They can't let this disaster of the line derail their season. They need to have a functional offense and a functional line. And I don't know if bringing in a new coach now, whether it's as a consultant or just a straight-up replacement, changes it in time to fix the season. But I know that if you continue to do the same thing and these guys continue to struggle – what was looking like a promising season coming in could get very, very, very ugly very fast. I mean, the wheels can come off very quickly. Andrew Thomas is hurt right now. He's got a hamstring injury. Apparently, it's not severe. Um, I guess we should start talking about what's going on, you know, the next game and whatnot. But the Giants are flying out to Arizona for a 4 o'clock game on Sunday. And they got a quick four-day turnaround in San Francisco. Um, you know, that's a tough trip. And Arizona is a team that I think everybody was kind of looking at, you know, and saying, well, that's, that's, that's definitely a win. But are they? You know? I mean, they should be. <laughs> they should mm-hmm. be. Like, with the, they have, the Giants have no business losing to the Arizona Cardinals. But if, if Andrew Thomas can't play, and I'm in the camp that, like, if he's got a hamstring injury, you got to fly to the West Coast, play two games in five days. I mean, that's my 10-year tackle, who I just gave a ton of money to. I personally yep. would, would – I think it would be smart to just let him sit. Like, the, I don't know if his presence makes a huge difference against San Francisco after what we just saw mm-hmm. in, against Dallas. Um, and to be totally frank, you shouldn't need Andrew Thomas to beat the Arizona Cardinals. Um, but conversely, if you don't have Andrew Thomas on that field and the rest of those guys are a complete shit show, I don't know what that game looks like. And if you lose to Arizona, oh, boy. You know, then you got San Francisco. That's looking rough on short rest. And then you got to come back home across the country and face Seattle, which, I mean, I, you know, they lost Char- They lost the right tackle, Abe Lucas, today to IR. Um, I don't know what Charles Cross's injury status is. Um, but they just signed Jason Peters, so obviously they're looking for help there. Um, and then the schedule gets kind of nasty, right? You got Miami Dolphins after that. You got the Bills on, I think it's a Monday night game after mm-hmm. that. I mean, this could get ugly real fast unless they get this righted. Um, all the other stuff aside, the offensive line needs to be functional. Um, I, Authentic, our friend, and some other people have discussed this. You wanted to see the Giants come in and be a little bit more of a dynamic passing offense and sort of slowly creep in that direction this year. But if the line play is going to be like this, um, you almost have no choice but to just – revert back to what you know works and what mm. you know works is run the football run just give that ball to saquon barkley especially against arizona just run the ball with saquon barkley control the clock play an ugly short scoring you know low scoring game and go back to like a combination of quick passing game and just a whole big dose of running and i think you know something we were hoping we would not see as much of and see a little bit more dynamism uh, this year but if you don't have the offensive line to support it you're just going to have to revert back to that. And I think that's probably their best bet to try to win some football games, which sucks because it's not going to go very far. Let's be honest. That, that, yeah. that offensive approach is very limited. But they might have to do that just to not get the doors blown off and have this thing completely fall apart. So I'm kind of expecting them to do that on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's not a sustainable way to win. And I hope that they can try to e- at least ease into 
the way that they want to do it. But if Andrew Thomas is out this Sunday, and I agree with you, I think they should keep him out unless they are very, very confident in his health. They should keep yeah. him out. I don't I don't think it's worth the risk you put in Pear or Zudu. And apparently they liked what they saw and you know the little bit of reps at the end of the game of Zudu and his PFF grades did come out well to be fair as you know minimal reps. But uh I think you he was, a, he was a top I think he was the top graded giant. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah. That's yeah. an offense. Um yeah. but yeah, I think you run the hell out of the ball. Um I mean Arizona they had a good pass rush. They had a diverse pass rush versus Washington. You don't even really give them that chance. And granted, like the reason they got so many sacks because Sam Howell held onto the ball ridiculously long and wasn't seeing yeah. the field. But they did, you know, their head coach came from Philadelphia Eagles and they had a very diverse pass rush there. And, you know, they use a lot of stunts. And, um, I mean, I, we, I, their, head coach knows, their head coach knows our team. Yep, he knows Daniel true. Jones, you know, and he knows what, what probably works against him and this offense. Um, he obviously doesn't have the personnel in Arizona that he had in Philadelphia, so it's not like it's going to translate perfectly. But at least he's conceptually going to know what he's dealing with. And that's, you know, that's a little bit of a of a small advantage for them, I guess, in that way. Um, you have to, in my opinion, this game, you had to use the word must wins in week two. But you can't lose this game. No. Not You've with got, what's uh, coming up. No. You can't lose this game and go 0-2. And I think that we need to have a little bit of humility as a fan base, as an organization, you know, and, and just as a just Giants nation and just say, like, there's no game you can take for granted. There's no game you can say, I, oh, I'm, I'm not looking at that game. We must, we're going to win that game. I'm looking past, no. Like, you could lose any game. We've seen this story before, unfortunately. We've seen it not too many long, too many years ago. The wheels can come off real fast when all of a sudden unexpected losses stack on top of unexpected losses. And before you know it, it, it you know, then injuries start mounting. And yeah, we, we saw a snowball in the game. You don't want to snowball in the season. No. So I think the smart thing here is whoever's out there on the line, number one, get your shit together and really put somehow figure this out, um, at least for this game. Give the ball to Saquon Barkley a lot. He's got to he's got to be in the twenty five to thirty touch range in this game. You know, overall, I think I I don't I, I think between you know attempted pa uh, passes thrown his way and carries, he's got to be in the twenty five to thirty range in this game. It's got to be kind of like the Houston Texans game last year. Just give him the ball. It may not be pretty. It may be uglier than you think it could be, but it probably is going to give you a W. And you got to go get a W in this game, and then. If you get a win, I don't care how ugly it looks, you're one and one, mm -hmm. and you can you can breathe a little easier, and then regroup, and then try to see what you can do against the 49ers. But uh, that's kind of where we are. Any any more thoughts on the Giants before we move on to our edge class review? Yeah, I would just say that I mean this week, I mean you got the coaching has got to come out and win this game because this this is not a good enough roster to lose this game that we're playing. They 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 were coached very well week one. That's why they got so much pressure. I mean, who is it? Freaking Dennis Gardeck. I don't even know, really know who that is, but he was the um, third ranked edge rusher by PFF this week. He had, he had two sacks. I mean, that was, they, they're scheming up pressure and they got it. They got home. Our offenses, our offensive coaches have to find a way around 
the way they schemed it up last week. Um, and then Wink needs to bring the defense. This is not a good offense. He needs to take advantage of that he's not playing against a very good quarterback, and they need to honestly score points on defense. Like, yeah. like even yeah, if even if it's not a pick six or a no, get get the ball but, back. But get it, get it, get the ball back. Get it in range where we can score. Whether even if it's just a field goal, get it. I mean, get yeah. us in the scoring position with that defense, and we're going to be in good shape. Um, I hope Graham Gano is okay. I know he's limited right now. Um, but yeah, I mean that's all I have, man. We got to win this. Yeah. It's a, yeah. a must-win game. We should win this game. But you don't take him for granted. I'll add one last bit to close this out. Yep. And it's a rant I went on on the spaces today. <laughs> I'm definitely more fired up in spaces, daytime. Uh, I was pretty disgusted. You know, that video came out of the Cowboys doing the Oprah thing. You get a sack, you get a sack you, on, you know, on our field. And they're doing that and actually doing that and dancing and laughing at our, at our organization. At our, you know, and meanwhile, on the field, our quarterback, Say what you want about him. I mean, you know very well, wasn't my choice to bring him back. He wasn't my guy. I, I, I would have walked away from Daniel Jones yep. um, simply because I wanted us to kind of just accept the rebuild. And and it's just a, it's a long, tough slog. And I didn't quite understand the prospects of paying him through it unless you believe that he was going to become a top-tier guy. Once they paid him, I had to, like, sort of think, like, do they – I guess they think he's going to be a top-tier guy. So, you know, yep. we'll see. But um, – Man, that guy was getting his head beat in. And Brian Dable leaves Daniel Jones out there to take a beating, number one, which was bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's your, that's your franchise quarterback. You just and you leave him and, you, and, you and you're leaving him out there with so your, with your, and you're, you're leaving him out there in a, in a 30 something to nothing game in the fourth quarter with the second tier, with the second like group O line getting his head kicked in. Um, insane choice and I, I wish Emotional he had been insane. asked more about yeah and I wish he had been asked about that more in any in, in more detail but but the other part of it is really the players what really bothered me was I saw that video of the Cowboys guys like fired up and basically just taking a piss all over MetLife where were our guys like they come into your house they're beating you around okay they're better than you fine are they 40 to nothing better than you on your field they're laughing at you. You got they're beating the shit out of your quarterback. He's taking a beating, and you just sit there and do nothing, like nothing. There was zero fight. Not one guy stepped up and tried to even start a fight. I mean, I, I for for a hot second I missed Kadarius Tony. <laughs> like, at least at least he threw a punch. Like nobody had any fight in them. Nothing. There was not one person who stepped up with their quarterback getting beat up and, and try to hit somebody else and try to like send a message. Like, I don't care what you're doing to my quarterback is legal. You're beating him up. Stop beating him up. I'm going to beat you up. There was nothing. They were flaccid. And I couldn't understand like all of this hype that they had been building up about themselves. And that's how they responded to getting punched in the face was just to roll over and play dead while their teammate was getting slaughtered next to them. They were pretending they were dead so they wouldn't get hurt. It was a terrible scene, and I don't know if that was a point of discussion in the locker room or not, but it better have been. Yeah, It better have been that, that you guys rolled over and died while your quarterback was getting his head beat in, while this team was getting destroyed and our fan base was getting embarrassed. You rolled over and died 
Don't ever do that shit again. Don't embarrass us again like that. I'll, anyway, I'll tell you what. Yeah. The Cardinals yeah. were taking a lot of cheap shots on Washington last week. If they better, if they try that again, they better not roll over and just let that happen. There was there was one play where they tackled Howell and the defender stuck his legs around Howell. I saw and, that and rolled right. him over like alligator rolled him. No, I saw that play, and it, and and I think that's a Rich Gannon thing. Rich Gannon, I mean, uh, a Gannon thing, but like. If they try to take any cheap shots on our guys, whether it's Jones, Barkley, whoever, I need to see one of our guys go go over and and hit somebody so hard that they fall in a way where their knee is compromised. And I'm not advocating taking out somebody's ACL or, or whatever, but you should make them know that there are repercussions for cheap shots on your players or, or just taking take the teeing off on your guys. You need to stand up and fight. I'll say that's the that's the thing I missed about Nick Gates. You can say what you want about him as a player, but uh, him as a teammate was he he was a he was a real teammate. He was a real yeah, one so to those guys. Do, do, do we have do we have one of those guys on this roster? Yeah, I mean, do we I have don't know. do we do we have a leader on this roster? We have ten captains. Do we have a leader though? Yeah, I think that's 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 going to have to be you know it's going to we're going to figure that out pretty quickly. Yeah. Anyway, let, let's yeah. let's uh, let's let's stop it there. We went a little longer in the Giants because I think we felt like we needed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, little, uh, but we're going to get into uh, episode three of He's a Giant Edge Class Review 2024 Draft Class. Uh, I, I'm going to say it earlier this time. Thank you to everybody who has been tuning in on YouTube, on on Apple, and Spotify to listen to the podcast, watch it, and. Thanks for the reviews. We love you guys. You guys are awesome. Um, give us feedback. We've already done wide receivers and defensive linemen. We're going to edge next because we feel like it's an area that, that number one, is important. Number one is really good in this class. Um, I say number one twice. Number one is good. Number two is, is good in this class. And number three is something the Giants might be in the market for. So uh, we picked up five guys again and a couple of sleepers. Monty, you want to kick off our first guy at the top of our list? Sure. So let me go ahead and just pull pull it up for us. So the first guy that we're going to go over is a guy by the name of Jared Verse. And he is out of Florida State. Hang on. This popping up. All right. Out of Florida State. All right. We'll just go ahead and roll with it. So he is a fifth-year player. He started out at uh, Albany. He was a junior college guy, I believe, or something. He was a smaller guy, FCS, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a zero-star recruit. He got no no FBS offers. He um, and he's six four, two hundred and sixty pounds. Uh. He's, so he had 48 tackles last year, 17 tackles for a loss, nine sacks, 36 total pressures, 22.6 pass rush win rate, 27.3 missed tackle percentage. So, you know, kind of high, but it's a little bit different for these edge guys than it was for like an interior defensive lineman like we talked about last week. Um, and then 82.4 PFF score. 72.1 run grade from PFF and a 88.6 pass rush grade. So a lot of really good numbers there from Jared Verse. Uh, he's a really good player uh, and 
definitely one of the most complete players in this class, but um, I'll let you give a little bit more about that. Yeah, so Jared Verse is a really interesting guy. Um, I think it's important to note that if he, he was eligible to declare last year, and had he declared in the draft, I think the consensus view around the draft community was that he was the second best edge rusher in that class. So probably second only to Will Anderson from Alabama. Um, if you guys remember, the guy who went the second highest drafted edge rusher last year was Tyree Wilson, who went to the Raiders. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that was Jared, that was Jared versus spot. Um, yep. He was viewed as a better prospect even last year than Tyree Wilson. Um, but, you know, the, he, he, when you watch him, you know, he's unblockable at times. Like, you watch him through games. He's such an advanced technician as an edge rusher in terms of pass rushing moves and repertoire. He's also ridiculously strong and yoked up. He sets an incredibly firm edge in the run game. He can't get blocked by tight ends. He's explosive. His first step is really quick. He converts speed to power. I have some notes here. He he just runs through guys. There, there are definitely reps where you see him like taking on tackles head on, putting sticking his arm out, and he just bull rushes them and drives mm-hmm. them backwards. He goes right through them as if they're not there. He's got a pretty good push-pull technique. He's just incredibly he's incredibly refined for a guy who started as a zero-star recruit, as you mentioned. Um, so it's, it's an interesting story. Uh, he was a track athlete back in yeah. high school. Um, like a real, I think he was a sprinter, if I recall. Right? But I think he did multiple track and field events, mainly as a sprinter. He was 220 pounds coming out of high school. Had zero, no FBS offers, none whatsoever. The guy ends up at Albany, an FCS school, because they let him play edge rusher, and he starts trying to gain weight. And then the story is, and this was actually uh, something that I think it was Trevor Sycamore who told the story. During the COVID lockdown, the, the guy builds a home gym and yeah. he just eats nothing but like, like he eats like peanut butter and creatine all day. <laughs> and he just works out. He puts on 40 pounds, 40 pounds in a year in a home gym, which is bananas. And goes up to like close to about, he pushes over 260, comes down a little bit from there when he starts playing, but he goes from like 220 to 260 in like a year of working out during the, the, the COVID lockdowns and the COVID year. Um, Dominant at, at Albany, and then he, you know, obviously he's getting offers to transfer all over. He chooses Florida State. Yep. He only has one year at the FBS, but man, he was devastating last year at the FBS uh, at Florida State. And you know, he could have, like I said, he could have come out, decides I'm going to go back to college for whatever reason. I think it may be because Florida State's got a freaking damn good team. I think they're a legitimate really? contender. They, are, I mean, they are a legitimate contender to dethrone Georgia. More on that later this year, but. If you're not paying attention, that Florida State team is just loaded with talent everywhere. We'll be yeah. talking about them a lot. For these yeah, you'll, you'll you'll hear Florida State. We've uh, we've discussed them pretty much every week, yeah. um, and so you're gonna you're gonna hear about these guys. But you know, just he's just a great player. He's explosive, like you mentioned. Uh, he's got incredible pass rush and weight. I want to talk about the pra- the pass rush and win rate a little bit. There are certain metrics that tr- that do translate to NFL success. Um, and that pass, pass rush win rate for edge rushers is one of them. It's really yeah. translatable. Um, and to give you guys perspective, like anything above 20% in the NFL is like just, there's like three or four guys who do it. It's like the elite of the elite edge rushers. We're talking about like the Miles Garrett's, the the Nick Bosa's, the Micah Parsons, uh, the, you know, 
the TJ Watts. Like those are the guys who are pushing like 20 plus percent pass rush win rate. When you see guys in college pushing over that, that translates pretty well. Um, so, you know, I, I think this guy is a, he's a top 10 pick for sure. In my mind, I'm, I'm thinking he's probably a top five pick, honestly, mm -hmm. um, barring something strange happening in the NFL draft. So I don't think there's a whole lot of scenarios where he lands on the giants, but I guess you never know. Um, just a great player, though. He's, I think he's a, he's a plug-and-play, impact, edge one coming out right out of college. Yep. No, I'm right there with you. I mean, he is just a very clean player. You know, when we talked about Drazan Newton last week, about how yeah. he was so pro-ready, he was a great athlete. And that's the thing about this dude. He is a freak athlete, man. He is twitchy as hell. Um you know, he actually was on, he made the uh, Feldman freak list. He was number 26 on Feldman's freak list. Um, some notes from that. He power cleaned 360 pounds. He squats 550 pounds. He benches 455 pounds. So, you know, that, that home gym really came in handy to him. <laughs> he got those those numbers way up. And then them he hit, yep. And then he hit 21.14 miles per hour on the GPS. So, I mean, that's freaky times. That's wide receiver times. That's that's insanely fast. Um, so, yeah, man, I think he's pretty clearly the best edge in this class. He's got that explosive first step that you look for when you're kind of looking for elite uh, edge rushers. That that first step is a big thing. Like you said, he kind of does everything. He can set the edge of the, versus the run on top of all these uh, – uh, pass rush skills. He also, I'll say, like, you might be able to see anybody who's watching on YouTube, like, whenever there is any sort of, like, read option play, I always notice he is, he just always reads them so well. He doesn't, like, he doesn't at all get tricked. He waits there, he breaks down, and immediately fires off to wherever side is going to. He has a ton of patience with it. Um, you know, he's a sideline to sideline type player. He has that type of athleticism. So, you know, if they break it outside, he can catch up with these running backs and these quarterbacks and chase them down. Um, trying to think if there's anything else you can really say. I mean, like, he, he explodes through those tackles when he gets them. Uh, you mentioned his push-pull, but I, I think that push-pull is ridiculously overpowering. I think when you see it, yeah. he – he can really take advantage of people with it. He has really good hands. Um, he can win wide. He can come back and win inside. Um, but yeah, man, heavy hands. You know all the all those type of things yeah. you want out of an edge rusher. He's a, a complete big, player. Yeah, yeah. He's a totally complete player. Um, he was number eight on Brugler's big board. So to what you said, he will be a top ten player in this draft. I believe. I mean, like he would have been a top ten last year. I probably feel as confident about him being a top 10 player as just about anybody in this class outside of, you know, Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison, Drake May. There's a couple other guys, but I yeah. mean, he's already proven it. He would have been last year. So Absolutely. All right. So there you go, guys. If you want the top edge rusher in the class, there's your guy. Um, let's move on to number two in our big board and yep. like as, per, as i don't have any issues this time with this with this one <laughs> <laughs> yeah and again this is like uh, you know a lot of these are consensus i mean i don't think there was much dispute on who were the top five i think monty and i took a little bit of a different approach on a couple of guys but 
for the most part, these are sort of consensus in the guys. So number two on our big board is Layatu Latu uh, from UCLA. Um, he's a, another fifth-year player, 6'5", 265 pounds, huge wingspan, big dude. He, he is a four-star recruit coming out of high school. He was a transfer out of Washington. So for those of you who remember Jalen Phillips and his storyline, his arc, he started at UCLA and was a highly prized recruit and was a great player, then has an injury history. I think it was concussions and a neck injury. He had to medically retire before he came back later and played in, at, at Miami and got drafted. Well, the same thing happened to Latu at Washington. He plays two years there. He gets a horrific neck injury and is forced to medically retire from football. Um, takes time off. Uh, two years, two yep. years off, um, gets healthy, comes back, gets clear to play, goes to UCLA, gets clear, joins the UCLA team, and he got back on the field last year. And for a guy who missed, you know, two years, let me go through some of his numbers. 36 tackles, 12 and a half tackles for a loss, 10 and a half sacks, three forced fumbles, a 20% pass rush win rate. 30% missed tackle percentage. So, again, high numbers for edge rushers, but that's kind of what edge rushers do. His PFF grades were 88.4 overall, 67 in the run game, 91 as a pass rusher. So, really good stuff all overall. Uh, but why don't you tell me what, what you see in this guy and your thoughts on Latu? Yeah, man. I mean, so one thing you're going to see with this class is – you know, we've kind of had like a guy who's so far ahead of the rest and versus a little bit that, but I love all these guys in the class and Latu yeah. might be my favorite guy after verse. Um, it's close with all these guys, but man, he, he is a very good football player. And like you mentioned, the fact that he missed two years and had this type of production off of not playing football for two years off of an injury is crazy to me. He he kept up with the craft when he was away, it seems like. I mean, yeah, he, he is a step. No, he is a technician, man. He is the probably the best technical pass rusher in this entire class. I mean, he has everything. He has he has a really good long arm. He's got a really good spin move. He's got that rip and dip. He's got that cross chop. He's got he's got yeah. everything. He and like when you watch him, he trusts his pass rush plan. Like he doesn't ever kind, of, he doesn't look out of control ever. He just if if his first plan move doesn't work, he has a counter and he keeps working it until he gets through. And he might not be the quickest player in the world. Like he, there's some of these guys like Verse, for example. We just kind of went over his measurables. He's a better athlete than Latu is, but when that first move works. He fires through that gap, and he knows when it does. He immediately recognizes it, and he has really good closing speed. I mean, you definitely see some some quarterbacks get away from him and some running backs get away from him occasionally, but when they don't see it coming, he will, he will close on them fast and not give them a chance to react. He has a ridiculous motor when he plays. I mean uh, – when not playing football for two years might do that to you. I mean, he, he clearly missed the sport and he, and he's always, always going. He can play from the edge, from the interior. 
he when he comes off the edge, I I see a guy who is really good bend. Um, I mean, you see the rep right there against Washington. He's basically lined up like a nose tackle. Like, yep. it's, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, he anyway. lines up everywhere, man. I mean, for I mean, speaking, you know, a little bit to the Giants, and I'll I'll, I'll even touch it on Verso. Verse obviously has the athleticism, um, to and he'd probably be a, a three-four outside linebacker for us. He's a big guy, buddy. I think that's pretty clear. And I think mm-hmm. it'd be Latu as well, but I do think Latu might be able to get down. And I mean, I mean, even Aziz does that a little bit for us. I mean, we'll get down and put his hand in the dirt on, a, on some formations and be a, be a D end on, in that three, four. But I also, I think he's mainly a stand up guy, but I just want to kind of throw that out there. Um, there's also one, one more, I'll throw it back to you, but one more other thing I was going to uh, mention is that uh, he had two sacks first USC and Caleb Williams. And you know when you're going up against, a guy like Caleb Williams, who has that escapability, which you know is better than ninety percent of the quarterbacks in the NFL, and he can have that type of success. That's definitely something that you know pops off the page, you know, pops off the tape while you're watching. You're like, okay, this guy, this guy can finish finish the play. Um, yeah. But what what else do you got on him? Sal? No, you got you got it all. The only thing I mean, I would just uh, kind of add to that and just say. The, to the technically refined portion of it. Like, there's just things he does in his game that kind of speak to it. Like, he's really good. He, like, you can't get your hands on the guy. You watch him. He, he keeps, he keeps uh, tackles, hands off him. He, he just yeah. slaps him away. He just never gets, you know, leveraged down out of a play. Um, he's got a complete pass rush repertoire, as you were saying. Um, it, coming from the interior, coming from the outside. He's kind of got everything technically. I mean, he plays like a guy who was shadow boxing his edge rush moves while yeah. the guy was waiting to get back on the field, right? Like, he, it's amazing how how refined he is. Like, he worked on this stuff. Clearly, he had to. Like, where else did he get all this, right? When he was away from the game, he's, like, sitting there, like, pretending he's, he's edge rushing. And so, phenomenal thing. The, 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 you know, phenomenal player. I don't think there's much doubt that he's a first-round talent. Probably, like, a top, top 10 to top 15 talent. Um, here's the thing. You missed two years to and have to medically retire due to a severe neck injury. Yep. You're, you're, you're not going to be on everybody's big board. Um, Probably not you're the Giants. Be, yeah, and the Giants are not known for taking guys like this. Um, forget about early. So they, they don't take guys like this ever. So I, I have a hard time seeing, even though he sort of fits the prototype, prototypical mold of what would really do well in a Wake Martindale system, I just have a hard time seeing the Giants taking a swing on a guy with this medical history. Somebody will. Mm-hmm. And chances are whoever does is going to get themselves, a, you know, like a Pro Bowl caliber player. Yep. And, yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it. I mean, Jalen Phillips, I believe – I don't remember exactly, but I believe he was a concussion, more of a concussion issue. This guy's neck. So, yeah. I, I mean, he could really fall, man. That's scary. So, I think it was back to – it's that's some really scary stuff. Um I don't see the Giants being the ones that take chance. I only said I think he's a first round talent, but if, I can see him if, fall. Yeah, if we're watching the NFL draft and he's still sitting there day three, I'm, I'm, I won't be surprised as much as I don't think it's fair for his talent. And I can also see him going like top fifteen. Yep. You know, Jalen yep. Phillips went I think like seventeen or eighteen overall, something like yep. that. Something like that, uh, right before I, I, our pick of twenty. Yeah, I, I can see him going somewhere in that range also because he's just so good. Uh, but he's, that's he's such the, a good player. That's Latu. Uh, I think yeah, you're, you're taking 
if you have any other thoughts, and then I think uh, you introduced the third guy. Yep. No, I'll go ahead and introduce our third guy. But yeah, no, he's a good player. But fortunately, there's a lot of good edge r- rushers in this class. So I'll go ahead and I'll pull up our next guy. And, you know, I'll go ahead and set you up for this one because I know this is somebody that you're a, you're a big <laughs> fan of. Um, yeah. So this guy's name is Chop Robinson. He is an edge rusher out of Penn State. Chop Robinson, he's he's only a third-year player, so we've had a couple fifth years we've talked about. He's only in his third year. He actually was a transfer from Maryland after his true freshman year, and he went to Penn State. He's 6'3", 255 pounds. He was a four-star recruit, and last year he had 26 tackles, 10, 10 uh, tackles for loss, five-and-a-half sacks, 48 pressures, Good amount there. Uh, 26.1 missed tackle percentage, so pretty much on par. Honestly, a little bit lower than what we've talked about so far. 20.9 pass rush win rate. So, again, he got over that 20 that we really look for with these great guys. He had a 90.6 PFF grade last year. 72.6 versus run, so still a solid run. And then 92.4 pass rush. So, Know, very productive, good player. Even though it doesn't always show up in the stat sheet, uh, he was very disrupt- disruptive. Is probably the word to use for him. But uh, why don't you take it there, Sal? Tell him, tell us about Chop. A uh, Chop. Yeah, I have another word for him in my notes. It's psychopath. Uh, <laughs> this guy, yeah, <laughs> this guy plays like an absolute mani- like a maniacal beast on the field. So he, you know. You look at him and he's diminutive. He's diminutive, right? He's not a big guy. He's only six three. He has short arms, um, mm. and I think that that you can see it. You don't have to measure. Like, you can just see on the tape. He's smaller than the guys out there. Like he's smaller than his teammates. He's smaller than the linemen he's going up against. Um, once you get over the the visual effect of him being a smaller guy, and you watch him play, all you see is a guy who's an absolute freak and a psychopath that just takes over football games. And that's exactly what he does. He completely takes over football games. It's exactly what you want in in a game-disrupting edge rusher. He is so powerful. This guy plays with leverage. He's small, but he takes advantage of it. He plays low to the ground. He's got freakish strength and freakish athleticism stemming from his lower body. And he's he just uses that lower body strength to just run right through guys. He's just ridiculously fast with his first step. His speed to power is insane. And like you said, he's younger than the other guys. He doesn't have a fully developed pass rush repertoire. So that 20% pass rush win rate, that's almost all speed to power. Like pretty much all of it is just is just him bull rushing dudes just with leverage, right? Like he's just small and he's just coming at them with like rapid speed to power, boom, 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 knocking them backwards, getting in the backfield and, and taking out quarterbacks. But he doesn't just do it in the pass game. Like he will do this in the run game. He's so fast. He'll just run around the backfield, disrupt the run game, disrupt the pass game. His motor is insane. He has the hottest motor of any one of these guys. He's, he's just an absolute maniac. So when you're watching games, if you want to tune into a Penn State game, you don't have to look hard. You're going to notice 44. He's going to be on your field. He's going to pop right away. And at some point, you need to get guys like this on your team. Forget his size, his arm length. I mean, this is a guy, Monty, who 
teams are going to overthink this. This is the overthink it guy, right? They're going to be like, oh, his arm length. Look at his size. I don't know. Can he be an edge rusher in the NFL against the beasts that are lining up his offensive tackle? Yeah, he can. And he'll be really good. And he'll figure it out because he's so damn quick and strong. Um, but the teams will overthink this. And teams are going to let this guy fall. Like, as much as I think this guy should be right up there in, like, that top 10 to 15 discussion, I can see him falling because of his stature. But the way he plays football – you need guys like this on your team if you're going to win a Super Bowl. Like, and, and that's what this comes down to, right? You're trying to you're trying to put together a roster of guys who are going to not only be great players for you, but the kind of guys who win big games and big moments and get you to the promised land. Every team needs a Chop Robinson. You need a guy like this on your team. So I would be ecstatic if the Giants landed Chop Robinson. I love the way this guy plays football. What you have any other thoughts on this guy? Yeah, I mean, definitely nailed it. Um, he, he is not going to be hard to miss. He'll be the guy that's not wearing any gloves or sleeves <laughs> or anything like that out there. He's, he's insane. <laughs> yeah, he just it just adds to it. He looks like a he looks when you look at him, he looks like the like a JV football player the way he's dressed up out there. But then he's just he said he's a psychopath, man. He he's just he doesn't seem like. And I, I don't mean this in a bad way because it's going to sound bad. He doesn't look like he necessarily has a plan sometimes. He's just he's like just, – He's just running around. <laughs> he just wants to kill someone. Like, yeah. He has great he has great instincts. He has great speed, great strength, great vision. It works for him. But, like, I don't, I don't necessarily feel like he always has the plan when he's going into it. He's just going to – I'm going to get to the ball. I like He's like, he's like water boy. Like, yeah, um, <laughs> he is the water boy. That is a great comp. <laughs> he just, just put him somewhere. On, yeah, he's like, we should just put him somewhere on the field and just like, you know, just tell him that there's something wrong with his medulla oblongata. He'll go kill someone for him. <laughs> but no, he, he is, he is, uh, he's a great player. Um, he's super athletic. Um, you know, I think one comp you're going to end up seeing, it's not a fair comp to put on, let's be fair. Let's make this straight. But it's going to comp I think you'll end up seeing is another guy out of Penn State who is a freak athlete who has short arms and is an edge rusher. A guy named just killed us this week in Michael yeah. Parsons. He yep. he was seen as an off-ball linebacker, but um, part of the reason they didn't think he's exceed as an edge rusher because is he has line. short arms. And exactly. So he, he's he never thought it. So that you, yeah. You you can you can succeed. Um, you know he's not Micah Parsons. So let's get that straight. Yeah. That that's not a fair comp for him. But but I will. At, with that said, he is a freak. He is yeah. also a freak. He was number nine on Feldman's freak list. He reportedly runs a four four seven. So keep that in mind. He does that at not what what was it two hundred fifty five pounds? Runs yeah. a four four seven. He runs a four two two shuttle. Which is faster than Micah Parson ran for the record. Raw jumps 10 7, 10 feet 7 inches, and he uh, bench presses 400 pounds. So this guy is a freak athlete. He has really, he's fucking violent hands. He's just, I mean, it just goes with his like psychopath behavior when he's just, hands are like mallets when he's coming he, through. He's the guy that we needed on the field on Sunday night. Like, yeah. if you want to be real about this, like, to turn the tide of that game on Sunday night, we needed a Chop Robinson on the field. That's what I was talking about. You need somebody who's going to go out there and try to hurt somebody on the other team to try to turn that game around. He's a game wrecker. He's 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 a game wrecker. And I'll say the difference between a lot of these guys, he's, he's a 
he's an untapped player. He yeah. he is a guy that there's a lot to grow for him. He is not nearly at what his ceiling is. He he is still more of a disruptor than a, like a production type guy. Um, and there's that's a couple guys in this, but I I really like him. Uh, if you if you want to watch a game, go watch him versus Auburn. He he took over that game. Um, he had he only had one sack, but he had nine pressures in that game. He ended up walking away with a ninety five point two pass rush grade. And keep keep in mind against an SEC team, but also I mean he plays in the Big Ten. The offensive line is different in the, the Big Ten, and he and he gets a lot of competition. Uh, he's fifteen on Brugler's big board. So uh yeah. is a big fan of him. These you're gonna have to spend a first round pick to get him. But uh yeah. he is a great player. Um I saw one comp for him, potentially maybe like a like a Carl Lawson. He was kind of a stout guy, shorter arms, really good athlete. So um, you know, they don't have necessarily the same play style, but from uh from a prototype, I think I think it kind of fits. Uh yeah. But, uh, Jermaine Johnson, Carl Lawson, these guys, like, yeah, uh, they're they're in that they're in that mold. Except, I would argue that the way he plays the game is just another level of insane violence. And well, you you just need that. You need that on your team. Yeah, right. awesome. So, we'll, one to watch, and we'll we'll get into the game they're playing a little later. But uh, why don't we go to number four? I'll introduce him. Yep. Um, so the fourth guy on our list is another guy. That I am very very high on uh, for a similar reason. So, um, and I think this is where Monty and I diverge a little from the consensus in terms of our rankings. Um, but we both love this guy. So this is Braylon Trice. Um, he is a fifth year player, another fifth year player out of Washington, 6'4", 274 pounds. So he's bigger than the other guys. Uh, I'll read off some of your some of his stats from last year to you guys: thirty eight tackles, twelve tackles for a loss. Nine sacks, 70 pressures, 70. That's nuts. Insane. Eight, by the way, 18 of those pressures came in one game. I don't know if you, if you knew that stat. One game against Washington, against Oregon State, the dude had 18 actual pressures by himself. I think it was Washington I, I, State. It was, was it Washington State? Was, yeah. Oh, that's right. It was against Cam Ward. Yeah, Washington State. 18 pressures, 15 quarterback hits. 32.6 missed tackle percentage. So, again, we're in that crazy high number. But, again, that's edge rushers. Um, his pass rush win rate, remember I said 20% plus is good? 26.2% pass rush win rate. He had an 88.5 overall PFF grade, 65.4 run grade, and a 91.3 pass grade. So he is just blowing up the stats. He's blowing up the analytics. He's a, He is a data darling. But um, – I love the guy. Tell me what your thoughts are on this on this guy, Monty. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely a fan of Braylon uh, Trice, and you know, you read off like some really exciting numbers there. And you know, if you've been paying attention to the numbers of these other guys, you might be sitting here a little bit like, "Why is this guy four right now?" Um, and I mean, outside of that missed tackle rate of 32.6, which is definitely the highest we've seen by a good bit. Um, Really, it just comes down to athleticism with this guy. He is not the same level athlete, but he is a very good pass rusher. I mean, 
He is, but he lives off of that bull rush. I mean, he fires out low and just absolutely drives the offensive lineman back. And he works all his counters off that bull rush. And, you know, that's the main part of his game. And between that and just how much effort he plays with, he is, we've been using a lot, that, that word with a lot of these players and it's been true. A lot of these guys are all effort guys, but he, he might have the most out of all these guys. I mean, he will just keep fighting until he's in the quarterback's lap. And um, he, these college players can't keep up with him. He, he is so strong and he just, he uses that speed to power. Um, I think he could use another move, um, you know, something to, complement that 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 uh bull rush a little bit more i mean i know he has some counters off of the bull rush but i think he could use a complementary move to that a little bit more um really maybe work on that push and pull something like that might help him a little bit more um i'll say i do have this i i think he's a willing edge setter I don't know if yeah. he's the the best edge setter, but I think he's a very willing edge setter. He is a guy who is who's strong and will will set it. It's just he is not the best run stopper. He is he's not very decisive in the run game. He he kind of gets he kind of gets tricked. It seems like he he is he doesn't he's not quick to make to make the run stop like he is in the past game. But overall. He's a really impactful player. He has heavy hands, like I say. He's just a strong player who is, as you said, he's so, so productive. And that's just something that you can't, like, you can't teach. It's just that that type of production you you can't overlook. So I think I think the reason he's four and not like one or two on this list with those numbers is purely because right now he's just a pass rusher. And mm-hmm. he doesn't set a very firm edge. He's indecisive in the run game. It, 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 to be frank, like when he's on, when he's given the responsibility of handling the run, it just slows him down. And his game is just go, 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 right? His game is full, full throttle motor. Get to the get to the quarterback. If he has to change that for the run game, that's where he really struggles. And you watch him; he's he's like a max effort kind of rusher. Um, he's not going to, I don't think he's going to blow up the combine with athletic testing or anything like that, but he's a big, strong dude and he works his ass off in every rep. Um, he is an amazing pass rusher. So, you know, he's not quite there yet as a run defending edge setter, which is probably why he's not higher. He's not an athlete like some of the other guys we just mentioned, which is probably why he's not higher. But listen, if you need a guy who's just going to over or just overwhelm off at the tackles to get to the quarterback, you know, I'm not gonna say he's like a Bosa, but you know, kind of like Nick Bosa. You know, like in, in, at least in the way he rushes the passer, right? Nick Bosa just he just bowls through people. Um, you want a guy like this who's just gonna power his way to the quarterback. That's his game. Now he's he gets around the quarterback enough. Like his bend is good at his size. I think he has pretty good bend. Like he'll he has decent bend around the edge mm-hmm. for a dude his size. Just enough where I think he can keep linemen off balance, um, but you're right. At the end of the day, like he's a he's a bull rusher, and yeah. he has all sorts of moves, like a, like a like a club 
arm rip. He has all these moves that, that feed off of that bull rush, but what he's basically doing is coming straight at you for the most part. And these guys are backtracking to try to get in position, and he's just knocking them over with all sorts of moves once he's got them going backwards. Yeah, and he's and he's just and he's just driving tackles into the quarterback. You watch him, and he's like using the tackle as like a, as like a weapon to take out the quarterback, and that's his game. So, listen, uh, a guy like him, maybe not a complete edge rusher like the others, but as a as a pass rushing monster, if that's what you're looking for, this is a guy you can see either going in the back half of round one. I think he's more of like a late round one, early round two kind of graded guy, depending on a team's needs. Uh, and I think that's probably where he's going to get drafted, uh, mm -hmm. barring a major change in things this year, which I don't see him happen. Like, I don't think his athletic testing is going to take him anywhere. Um, but some team is going to say, we need a guy like this to, to get to the pass, to get to the passer and we're just going to take him. And I think it's going to be in that sort of 20 to 40 range is where he likely goes. I don't know where, where Burglar has him, but that's kind of yeah, where I he think has he has him at 47. And okay, yeah, so, I, yeah. I think, I think he, we've seen it a lot over the last few years where some of these edge rushers start to kind of go on a run early round two. And that's yeah. kind of where I, where I see him. Somebody who wants to get an edge rusher who didn't uh, dress it early uh, round one, one of these teams at the top of round two, I think that's kind of a good spot for him. Um, I do have a question for you, though, with him. Where do you see his role with the Giants, given, like, some of his athleticism limitations? Do you think he can play a 3-4 outside linebacker, or do you think he's a guy, you draft him 274, he puts on 10 pounds and plays 3-4 defensive ends? I don't think he's a 3-4 DE. Um, mm -hmm. I think he could do it, you know, like, if you got him to, like, 290, you know, could he play, like, as a small 3-tech, you know, kind of thing? Maybe. Um, but I think at, at the end of the day, he is an edge rusher. I, I think he fits. I don't think you need to – personally, I, I don't think you need two Kayvon Thibodeaux on the team, right? I don't think you need two guys who can do everything where they can rush the passer and drop into coverage, you know, and play like true outside linebacker, you know, stand up. I don't think you necessarily need those guys. I think you want to have somebody who is – knocking tackles backwards, which is something we really don't have on the edge right now, right? Like, Kayvon, I think, is developing that. Hopefully, he'll get better at that this year, um, and hopefully, we'll see that from Aziz. But right now, we don't have a bona fide guy who's just going to bull rush into the quarterback, and I think that is something we're definitely missing on our defense. So, to me, he's a starting edge outside of Kayvon, you know, like, and you can rotate him with Aziz Ojolari. I can see sub-packages where he lines up as, you know, as like you're saying, either as a defensive end mm -hmm. or or as an edge rusher, and you just have two edge rushers on the same side where you have Aziz up, like lined up like as like a wide nine. Like there's so many things you could do with a guy like this, but basically in my mind, he's a dude you line up on the outside shoulder of the offensive tackle and you let him just destroy that guy yeah. with power. I think that's where he lives. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And the other side of this will also go into his draft stock is – how he develops as, you know, a run stopper because, I mean, where he's at right now, he's probably situa situational pass rusher in the NFL. But obviously the range that we're talking about him getting drafted in, he's got to be more than that in the NFL. So it's, it's interesting. I don't necessarily think he's the best fit for the Giants, but I'm sure we have creative enough coaches that if we found a good enough value on him, he even falls to us round two, I, I, I would be – very happy with taking it. Well, so. I mean, I, I mean, just to kind of play that play that point you're making, 
we went over the defensive tackles and the three Texans class uh, last week. Let's say we don't get one of those guys and we lose Leo, you know, and you don't get one of those top tier guys. You get, you get more of a rotational guy later in the draft. I can see the Giants going with just two down linemen again, right? Two down interior linemen and Jackson, another run stop or whoever it may be. And, and just getting, you know, a third edge rusher to be, you know, a five man front, you know, I mean, Wink's pretty creative. And I think as long as you can trust three of those guys to be able to handle the run, your two interior guys, at least one of the guys on the outside to handle the run. I think the pass rush upside of a guy like this can absolutely fit that. And I do think that's something we're lacking right now. I mean, until I see Kayvon do it, and until I see Aziz do it with any consistency, I'd like us to get somebody who can actually drive tackles backwards into the back. It is something we're missing. It's true. And so I'd love to see it. But uh, no, I love him. Like you said, he's a little bit limited, but a lot of upside as a pass rusher. Yep. Yeah. Um, it, and to, to hammer home to what you said, Hey, Wink says this is a positionless defense, and you know you can find ways to use it when you run it like that. So yeah, um, but yeah, we have one more guy here in our first top five um, that we're going to talk about, and we'll just touch on our some of our honorable mentions after. But um, our last guy we have here, his name is Dallas Turner, and you'll see Dallas Turner pretty high up on a lot of lists and you know he's a guy that we left a little bit lower on ours than other people had him but yeah, he felt he had to make this top five just based off of how high he has and I do like this guy to be fair um yeah. but anyway he is a third year player so again a younger player he's 6'4 242 pounds so on the lighter side he's a five-star recruit you know very Highly touted coming out of high school. Uh, last year, he had 37 tackles, eight tackles for loss, and four sacks. Something I wanted to point out, though, his freshman year stats, he had 30 tackles, 10 tackles for loss, and eight and a half sacks. So, I mean, those are some pretty crazy stats for a true freshman in the SEC. Yeah. So he came out firing as a great player. Uh, for a freshman, he had a little bit of a down year, given probably the expectations. He, we something we we talked about with uh, you know one of our wide Xavier Worthy. He he was a similar thing from a wide receiver standpoint. He had a great freshman year and still a good second year, but didn't necessarily live up the expectations. Dallas Turner had a little bit of that. Um, so to the point of probably why he's here for us. 11.1 pass rush win rate. And we said that's something that tends to translate very well. And granted, he's a young player. He could really raise up that number. But for right now, it's a projection. And I'd like to see that higher. And the other guys all have it. He had 37 pressures. Lower end. Here's a good one for him, though. 11.1 missed tackle rate. Yeah, These guys have all been in the 20s. Last one was in the 30s. 11.1. This guy is a solid tackler. Um, I know you and I were both watching Alabama this week. He had a very good tackle this week versus. Uh, oh yeah. Oh, I'm blanking. Who are they? Texas. Texas. Yes, and they lost Texas, but he had a very good tackle versus Texas. Um, but yeah, I mean, he had solid numbers: seventy-three point one PFF grade, 
71.4 run uh, run defense grade and a 73.7 pass rush grade. Very good numbers. I don't have an Omni. Very good numbers as a freshman as well. Um, solid player. Has some room to grow. But uh, I'll let you go in a little bit more onto that, Sal. I think you got most of it. I, I think I think you're definitely going to see this guy a lot higher than we're putting him when when all is said and done. And even now, like on most big boards, um, and it's purely based on talent and athleticism, right? Like just natural talent, athleticism. People are looking at the raw prospect and saying, this guy should be a top two to three edge rusher in this class. Uh, and I agree he should be. And he, he's so athletic, he can play kind of anywhere, right? He can be hands in a dirt defensive end. He can be an outside, stand, like, you know, stand outside linebacker slash edge rusher. He can drop into coverage. He can, he can, twist to the inside and rush the passer from there. He can, he can kind of do everything. Um, and and um, if I'm, you know, what I'm describing sounds like Wink Martindale's wet dream, right? Yes. Like a guy who can do all that. those things. Uh, but for all of his attributes and abilities and versatility, I think what really stands out is he's just not a developed pass rusher yet. And I think you have to see it happen this year at Alabama. I think everybody's assuming he's going to take the leap, especially with Will Anderson gone. They'll be more in the limelight. Um, but, you know, he's not fully developed as a pass rusher. He's not even close. I mean, he's got a very limited pass rush repertoire. Right now, it's basically just speed. Even yeah. the power he generates is generated from his speed, right? He uses momentum from his speed to generate power. Mm -hmm. He's not a guy who's going to get in close quarters and win with power. He's not a guy who has a ton of counter moves. He's not a guy that wins with hand usage. He's, you know, he doesn't do the things these other guys we discussed do. He just, he's just faster than everybody, right? He's faster and more athletic than everybody, and he wins with that. And the problem I have with that is in the NFL, that doesn't necessarily win because everybody's fast and athletic, yep. and they can counter that. You need to have a game plan. You need to have counter moves. You need to have strength. You need to have a repertoire. You need to develop it. And so he's a he's a real like developmental kind of. It's crazy to say about a guy who might be like viewed as the second edge overall by most consensus people, but to me he's developmental. You know, he's a developmental player. He's not somebody that I, I would bring in and think, oh, this guy is going to take over um, and and just be this dominant force as an edge rusher. He's not Jared Verse. He's yeah. not Chop Robinson. He's not that guy yet, um, and maybe he'll become that guy this year at Alabama. But there's still not there's still just not enough on film, not enough production to justify saying that. So that's why I have him here. But he has all the potential in the world, a lot of potential. Um, and I can see a guy like Wink saying, "Hell, if he fell to me, give me that guy. Let me work with him." So I can yeah. see him being a giant. Um, but I'm a little less high on him than maybe other people are. Yeah, and I think. I think he's a guy I might be a little bit higher on than you are. And, um, you know, he's an interesting player, man, because, you know, you brought up the points that he's not he's not there yet. But I'll say I get why people are excited because, I mean, something I brought up with, like, his freshman year, to be that advanced at that young of an age usually is a Absolutely. good sign for how you're going to translate to the NFL. If you can be a dominant player at 18 years old, typically means you can come into the NFL and be able to do that stuff at, you know, 22 years old. Like that's that stuff, that type of stuff typically translates. Be good young, you'll be good young at the next level. So Absolutely. Um, some notes I have on him, he, he explodes off the snap. He is a really fast first step. Um, 
he he is one thing I said he he is a insanely fast recovery. So a lot of times because he doesn't have this refined pass rush move, he'll sprint and you know run right by a guy or a guy will go by him. And you'll see, I mean, you just saw it right there on the tape for anybody who's watching. He'll tackle these guys from behind yeah. all the time. He'll get by them, and he'll just turn around, and he'll just take them from behind. Honestly, dude, if he could add a good, um, like, knock, like, like force fumble-type sack to it, these quarterbacks will not see it coming when he comes behind that. He's, he could get a lot of force fumbles with – at least the way at, at the college level, the way he plays, he, his closing speed is. I really haven't seen a guy make these many tackles from behind. He just he doesn't even care when an offensive lineman like tries. Yeah, to he almost ru- he lets them wash him. Like it's yeah. almost like he lets them wash him just so he can get like a, a narrower angle back to the quarterback. It's a, exactly it's an interesting thing. They're like, "I'll wa- wash you down." He's like, "Cool, I'll be in your quarterback's lap in about a second. Like right. So that's that's where you see it a little bit where he uses the athleticism too much and he needs to add a pass rush move, you know, especially something that complements his speed because he has a speed rush. But he's he's a great athlete, man. Um, you know, he looks so smooth when he turns that corner. He he has a ton of balance. He's he just looks like an athlete, and he he has that that motor that you're looking for. Again, yeah, you know, all these guys. That's why we like them. Uses good leverage, you know. Know who somebody he kind of reminds me of is uh, he reminds me a bit of Nolan Smith last year in the draft, mm-hmm. who was who was a freak athlete out of Georgia. He was a long player, and he was a guy that a lot of people felt like he could play off ball linebacker or edge rusher. And I I feel yeah. the same about um, Dallas Turner. I think Dallas Turner could play like an off ball role. He's he's solid in coverage. He's he's a really good tackler. Um, but he also has a pass rush ability. Um, I definitely think the Micah Parson uh, role in this NFL is that he's he's kind of started. A lot of people are going to like the, this type of player and try to recreate that. There's only one Micah Parsons, but everyone's going to be chasing it for the next decade, and I think that can get <laughs> a little bit of boost. Um, it's going to get a lot of people in trouble. <laughs> yeah, but um, he's nine on Brugler's big board. So, you know, yeah, there you go. He's top saying. 10. Yeah. yeah. People love him. Oh, um, I get it. I understand why people love him. Um, I guess I just, I, I see it, but I need to see the production match the upside a little bit more, especially when you're out, when you're at Alabama, right? That's the thing. When you're at yeah. Alabama, you got to, you, you, I want to see production. You know, this is not, Ger- this is not Georgia. It's not like being hidden behind Kirby Smarts, like, wall of like mutants you know where everybody's asked to do like one thing i mean um usually alabama edge rushers produce so i just need to see him do it this year that's all yeah and look i like all these players it's it's tough with these i i think we have a great list of five we sent each other our five earlier it's funny is we actually have the same order which is the order we went through but probably by tonight as i just you know continue to do more prep for the show I honestly think I have Chop Robinson two now, and I think I have De- a Dallas Turner four. Like I think I flopped both of those guys. Like it's just these guys are all so close. There's so many different things. I'll probably flop it by tomorrow. Like we truly have five guys who I'm really excited about here. 
So uh, I definitely think we picked the right group, but there's, you know, things to like about some that other guys don't yeah. have. I mean, to be fair, if, if the Giants end up with any one of these five guys, I'd be thrilled. Yeah. We're, we're, nit, we're nitpicking on the differences between those guys, but every one of them has a role on this team, in my opinion, at least. And I know you can make a case that Braylon Trice might be the one guy who, like, where does he fit? But I'm telling you, I think he fits as the guy who pushes back tackles, and and, and it's something that we could use in the backfield, you know? I'll, I'll uh, say the one thing that concerns me, talking about these five, Braylon Trice compared to the rest, if we took Braylon Trice, let's say, at 15, I'd be worried about his ceiling. The rest of these guys, I'm not really worried about their ceiling too much. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And I don't think we're ranking these guys based on where we think they're going to land on the big board. I think we're yeah, ranking yeah, them based yeah. on our preference. Like, it's clear mm-hmm. to me, like, like Dallas Turner will probably be the second or third edge off the off the board. Like, I'd be surprised if he's not second or third. Um, and I think it's going to be, you know, verse number one, and then Turner or Robinson, two and three, right, most likely. I think I think Latu, as good as he is, will probably fall. And, and because of the injury history, and I don't think Braylon Trice gets taken until at least the second round. I'd be surprised if he got taken in the first round. Like, I mean, you can see it, like, as a borderline one, but at the end of the day, I think he's a second-round pick. So, uh, But, yeah. like, I just like these guys. So I think it's a good group, and I, I'd be thrilled with any of them. Um, we should probably talk about our, our two honorable mentions. We're not going to go into too much depth uh, this week with the two honorable mentions. Um but we wanted to do something a little bit different with this one, um, just for the sake of a little bit of originality. We picked two guys who just fell outside the top five. Um, and it's interesting. The reason we chose these two specifically is because they're both at the same school. And they're both lining up right opposite each other. Uh, so if you haven't figured it out by now, it's JT Tuamola and Jack Sawyer, from both from Ohio State. Um, Please don't unsubscribe, at- Shane. Sorry, Shane. <laughs> We don't don't give us one star for this. Uh, it's just we're talking about because they're both prospects at the same school. Um, but let me just go through their numbers real quick, and then maybe we can talk about them together. So JT Tumalo, Tumalo, uh, five star recruit out of high school, six four two seventy. He had a, he was a basketball player. He had a nine point three pass rush win rate. So eh, you know, not like the other guys. Uh, 25% biz tackle percentage, 75.1 PFF grade, 59.8 PF overall run grade, and 83 pass rush grade. So even though his pass rush win rate wasn't great, his pass rush grade was pretty decent. Um, Jack Sawyer, his his teammate on the other side, 6'4", 265, so similar size and frame. Also a five-star recruit, um, number one in Ohio State's class that year. He had a 74.4 overall PFF grade, 73 run grade, 70.5 pass rush. A little bit more all around than JT Tumaloa. Um, both five star recruits, but, you know, both not, there's something missing, right? Like they're not, these guys, these are not guys who jump off the, they don't jump off the tape for you. Um, but what are your thoughts on these two guys? Yeah, I mean, Specifically with JT Tumoloa, or whatever you say it, he he is a guy who interests me. He's uh, not a data darling, as we might say, but um, he's you know he is a guy who's a very good athlete, even though it doesn't always show up on tape. I mean, he he had a scholarship to play basketball. He had multiple scholarships at D one. Um, he is a guy who has a very good um pass rush plan he has when we talked about 
um, who was it? Uh, Latu. He was a guy who I said had, you know, probably the best pass rush plan, the best skill, like move set out of all the guys we talked about. But that's really because this guy didn't make our top five. He's right there with them. He has a, he's a technician and he has a ton of moves at his disposal and he just doesn't have a ton of burst off that first step. And yeah. I think that's kind of held him back where you see in these, these win rates, but I mean, he is a guy who I think will be a good NFL player. Um, I just don't know if he will be, um, you know, a great player. Uh, and then with Jack Sawyer, um, he is a re- he's a really he is a really athletic player. He is athleticism is something that comes with him. He's another guy who has you know a big motor, and he is a guy who I actually could see. Um, being a guy that Wink would like, he he plays that uh, that Jack or that Leo spot for uh, Ohio State, and he's more of a versatile type player in that front seven who they kind of play all over. He has a he has a good toolbox as well, and they have a really good coaching there at Ohio State. Um, so you know that's one thing you'll get with both these guys; they're very well coached. Uh, the production has not necessarily been there, which is uh, you know we'll push them down a little bit, but I, th- I think they're both really good players. Uh, just, just missed the top five for, you know, those kind of reasons. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I think these guys were a little behind the depth chart last year to Zach Harrison. You got taken by the Falcons in the draft. Um, and now you're going to see both of them sort of featured as their edge defenders on both ends. And I think you're going to – the reason we kind of put them together – Not there are other guys you could have brought up here, but the reason we put these guys together because I think these are sort of guys who could maybe make a claim to climb a little bit higher. Right now they're both sort of like third-round type guys. Um, they they yeah. actually rank pretty oh. high by a lot of these guys. It depends oh. who you ask them, but Brugler loves them. Brugler has uh, JT 13, and he That's has crazy. sort of 35. So That's it's insane. a good it's a good edge class, guys. I mean, we yeah. we ever, it depends. You know what's what's your taste? Who what kind of player do you like? But uh, there's there's a lot of edges. See, I don't see a I don't see a first round pick in either one of them when I look at them no, play. Do I. You know, um, I see guys who who can become that. You know, because they're just really good athletes, and maybe with a year under their belt at school this year, they might become that. But I'm not. I you watch Ohio State games, and and this, Shane's gonna like this. These guys, they didn't do, they, they didn't do shit against Michigan, you know. Yeah. So like, I mean, to me, like, when you're grading an Ohio State player, you, what did they do against Michigan? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, yeah. really. And it, the same thing for the Michigan players. Like, what did you do against Ohio State? And the last couple of years, Michigan has owned that rivalry, um, and they've really beat them on both sides of the ball pretty pretty soundly. Um, so I, I'm, I guess, a little bit less impressed, but. I see the athleticism and the upside. I would not want the Giants to take either one of these guys in the first round. And I'll be honest, I'm not sure I'd want either one of them in the second round as they are currently constituted. Um, So, you know, guys go up and down. But I think it's worth watching. And and you can watch them both together. And I think that's interesting. So um, I think that takes us to sort of the last segment of our show. Um, Yep. Every week we say we're going to make it shorter, and every week we get longer and longer and longer. <laughs> but, but I think this week we had to go on our on our rant after the Giants' first game, so it's okay. And I hope you guys will forgive us. Um, 
the games to watch coming up this week, um, we've circled a couple of fun games for you guys. So um, Miami actually plays tonight. We're dropping the pod on Thursday. So tonight you can watch Miami play. I think they're playing Bethune-Cookman, so it shouldn't be a very competitive match. But you want to see Leonard Taylor, who we went over. Uh, the, Let's see him, the, see him uh, dominate. He'll, he's going right. to have a field day. He's going to do terrible things to Bethune-Cookman, but, but Bethune-Cookman's going to make a lot of money off the game, so don't feel too bad for them, I guess. Let, yeah. Not for the school, for the players, maybe. Um, so that's something if you want to do something on your Thursday night. And then a couple of other games that, um, that I came up with. You came up with Penn State versus Illinois, which will be on Saturday. That's a good matchup. Um, yeah, and some players we've talked about with Chop Robinson today, Johnny Newton from interior line class, um, Olu Fashano, who we haven't talked about yet, but he we'll is get to top, him. yeah, he's a top offensive tackle. You'll you'll you know just keep an eye on him, and then Keith Randolph. I don't think we ever brought up, but he's a teammate of Johnny Newton. He's also a top interior defensive line game guy. He plays right next to Johnny Newton. Both really good players. Yep, um, and. The other player to watch out in that game is Kalen King, the cornerback from Penn State. Mm-hmm. Who might he's probably the right now the second highest ranked cornerback in this class. Yeah, he might uh, be right, one by right. the time we talk about them. Who knows? It, very possible. Um, a couple more games that are worth watching. These are not powerhouse games, but they're interesting. So there's Georgia, South Carolina. I don't expect it to be very competitive, but it's always fun to watch an SEC rivalry. Uh, got some good got, players in there too. Yep, Antoine Wells, wide receiver out of South Carolina, Spencer Rattler, QB1. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, still still ticking, you know, yeah. still there. Uh, Brock Bowers, definitely the top tight end in this class from Georgia. And then Azir Stackhouse, who is the guy we mentioned briefly in our interior defensive line episode, um, a run-stopping monster as an interior yep. defensive lineman. So all guys worth watching. I'll throw one last game into the mix. Um, and it's, it, it ties together with the two guys we just discussed. It's Ohio State versus Western Kentucky. And I know that doesn't sound fun, and I'm sure it's going to be a horrific beatdown. But, <laughs> uh, but the, there are three players worth paying attention to in that game, um, just from what we just discussed. More than three, yeah. obviously. But certainly Jack Sawyer and JC Tuomolau, the edge rushers from Ohio State, you might get a chance to see how they play off each other in this game. We talked about Michael Hall. Um, last week from mm-hmm. Ohio State as well, the interior defensive lineman. You might want to see him play. And and Malachi Corley from our first episode. The, My you guy. Know, Debo, more, Debo more than Debo could Debo, right? Yep. <laughs> um, he, he, he got hurt in his first game, but he's supposed to be hopefully available for this game. So uh, for Western Kentucky. Competition. So even though it's probably not going to be a competitive game, I think you can see some fun players in that game as well. And of course, um, so you those got, are uh, uh-huh. Marvin Harrison and Agbuka too. Of course, I forgot about those yeah. guys. Yeah, Marvin yeah. Harrison and Agbuka. So you, you'll see some fun stuff in that game. Three, three like fun wide receivers, some fun guys on defense. Um, yep. So not the biggest powerhouse like matchups this week, but games where you can see some prospects go against each other, which will be interesting. Um, I think that's kind of it for for today's episode. Uh, do you have any other thoughts before we close this out? Nope. Look, we're on to Arizona, man. And uh, let's get back, hopefully talk about a Giants victory, and then go over some more prospects next week. Yeah, please do not make us do this again with a loss. <laughs> because I, like, I don't want to think about it, uh, but a loss, at, loss in Arizona would be something so horrific. It would. It, I hate to say it, but it would give me shades of Atlanta 2021. 
Um, you know, like to that game is a please don't do that to me. Just for all just the pain game. we're feeling. Yeah, just win. For all the pain we're feeling right now and getting humiliated in the first game, it's just one loss. When I don't care. You win a game, you notch a W on your belt, and you're one and one, and everything feels better again the next day. So I don't give a shit what you do, Giants. Go out there and win that game, and then we can we can deal with the rest of it afterwards. So go Giants, win this Sunday, and we will see you guys next week. Remember, like and subscribe. He's a giant pod uh, on Twitter um, is our handle. I am Queens underscore guy on Twitter. Monty is Monte Cristo at M O N T E C R I five T O. So add us, send us messages, give us feedback. You know, tell us what you think about the pod. Definitely, please. We're on YouTube. We're on Apple. We're on Spotify. Like, subscribe, give us five stars, all that stuff. Let us know what you think. And if you guys have ideas for how we should take this show going forward, we're going to be putting in the work. So please, feed, you know, give us the feedback and let us know what you think. Until next prospects. time. Yeah, send us prospects. If you guys have guys you want to see, let us know. Already some people have sent me guys. So we're definitely yeah. – those of you who have been kind enough to send me those – um, it's not that we're ignoring them. We're going to go through our first, our 10 position groups. And then I think we're going to circle back and we'll get to all those guys, uh, as the year goes along. Um, so that's about it. Thank you guys. That's, that's an episode for he's a giant episode three. We will see you next Thursday.